Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Trail to Tomahawk, written by Edwin Booth. His partner was death-branded by six bullets from a ghost gun. It was Kurt Trainer's birthday, and Kurt was a young man who liked to celebrate the occasion with a drink and a friendly brawl. Kurt had been working like a dog, and his partner in the Tomahawk Ranch, Frank Ballard, felt Kurt had earned the right to blow off a little steam. What worried Ballard was Del Hudspeth, who owned the Crazy K. Hudspeth wanted the Tomahawk and recently had been hiring men who seemed to have more experience with six-shooters than herding cows. But Ballard figured if they hit the local saloon for a few quick ones and headed back to the Tomahawk, he could avoid the Crazy K bunch and keep Kurt shy of any trouble. But Ballard figured wrong. Someone, probably from the Crazy K, lured Kurt outside. When Ballard went out to check on things, he learned that someone shot Kurt six times from the darkness, making his birthday his death day as well. Worse, whoever pulled the trigger framed things to make it look like Ballard had fired the shots and murdered his own best friend. Ballard shot back. When the sheriff arrived, Ballard was standing over Kurt's body with the smoke still rising from his gun. Since Ballard inherited Kurt's share of the tomahawk, he had a good motive for the killing, and most folks fingered him for the murderer. Unless Ballard acted fast, he knew he would face a murder trial and a public hanging. Somehow he had to escape and find the ghost gun that killed his partner and the man who had pulled the trigger. And even if he did, Ballard knew Hudspeth and the Crazy K riders would be waiting on the open plains to intercept him with loaded guns. For on a range where he could no longer tell friend from foe, Ballard's fight to save Tomahawk had become a total struggle for survival, for his life as well as Tomahawk Ranch. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Trail to Tomahawk. Chapter 1 because they needed supplies, Frank Ballard and his partner, Kurt Trainer took the wagon and made the long drive to Burwell. Also, because it was Kurt's birthday, his 24th, Frank felt justified in buying him a drink at the Nugget, one of the town's two saloons. This decision took a little deliberation, with their money as scarce as it was. But Kurt had worked hard during the six weeks since their last trip to town, and a birthday called for some kind of celebration. At any rate, they had their drink, and it was good to see Kurt grinning for a change, as though he might have decided that Frank wasn't actually a slave driver after all. Probably they would have left the saloon then with no harm done, but Willie Tanner, who owned the place, found out about Kurt's birthday and gave them a drink on the house. Frank foresaw what was liable to happen and tried to head it off, but when Kurt insisted on paying for a round, there wasn't much he could do about it. After the third drink, Frank tried to break it up, but Kurt wouldn't leave and reminded Frank that nobody had given him the right to say how much Kurt could drink, or anything else for that matter, which was true. However, what Kurt forgot to mention was that except for Frank's sounder judgment and cooler head, they would still be punching cows for Del Hudspeth on Crazy K. They stared at each other for a minute. Two big men dressed almost identically in waist overalls and sun-faded hickory shirts, 
their boots well-worn and coated with dust, and their holstered guns hanging heavy against their hips. Watching them, Willie Tanner licked his lips and wished he were somewhere else. Then Frank grinned and said good-naturedly, All right, kid. It's your birthday, not mine. I'll pick up the supplies and come back for you in an hour. Without waiting for a reply, he turned and went out into the street, and Willie Tanner sucked in a deep breath while mopping sweat from his forehead. Outside the saloon, Frank's smile faded. Buying Kurt that drink had been a mistake. He ought to know by this time that Kurt was still as irresponsible as when they had first met ten years before. The only thing to do now was to get the wagon loaded and get Kurt out of town before he got into trouble. While he was untying the team, Sally McQuaid came out of her father's hardware store next to the saloon. She was a shy, plain-looking girl Frank had known for years, and she was already well on her way to becoming an old maid. She gave Frank an uncertain little smile and walked rapidly towards the Drover's Hotel, just beyond the hardware store. Frank climbed to the wagon seat and was headed for the mercantile when the hotel door opened and Dill Hudspeth came out onto the porch, a toothpick between his lips. Hudspeth didn't speak, as Frank had known he wouldn't, but there was anger in his eyes and just a trace of curiosity. Frank met his gaze coldly for a second and drove on, but he had now forgotten about Sally McQuaid and almost about Kurt. The enmity between Crazy Kay and Tomahawk was a troublesome thing, and one which Frank couldn't quite understand. It was natural that Hudspeth should be annoyed when two of his men quit him after drawing Crazy Kay wages for so long. He hadn't made much fuss about it at first, not until a year ago when he had tried to buy Tomahawk and Frank had refused to sell. Since then, Hudspeth had never spoken to Frank or his partner, and even the Crazy K crew, some of whom had known them for years, made it a point to be looking the other way when they chanced to meet. Jeb Mitchell's general store was just beyond the hotel, and Frank turned in at the store's hitching rail and stepped to the ground. Across the street, Dell Hudspeth was just disappearing into the Red Rooster, and before the bat wings stopped swinging, Deputy Sam Evans came out of Shorty Belden's livery stable on foot, his tin star shining in the noonday sun. He lifted a hand in greeting, and Frank waved back, resisting an impulse to grin. Evans was all right, but a little over-impressed with his own importance. Also a little afraid of Dell Hudspeth, Frank reminded himself, and then no longer felt like grinning. There was no one in the store except the owner, a fat, bald-headed man of about sixty. He greeted Frank politely, but without warmth, and glanced at the list Frank had handed him. It wasn't much of an order, mainly flour, sugar and salt, and two pounds of Arbuckle's coffee. The only item which might have been considered a luxury was a dozen sacks of Bull Durham, and these would have to be doled out like miser's gold if they were to last until the next trip to town. With Frank doing the lugging, the goods were loaded in less than an hour. Frank counted out the exact cash to pay his bill, frowning a little at the thinness of his purse afterward. He looked up and caught the merchant watching him speculatively. Everything going all right out at Tomahawk, Frank? Frank nodded. We'll make it out, Jeb. He rubbed a rope-calloused hand across his lean jaw. It just takes time, I guess. 
His grin came naturally. In spite of what some folks think, we won't be begging for our jobs back. The storekeeper glanced over his shoulder uneasily, and it was obvious that he regretted opening the subject and wanted Frank to leave. I'm pretty busy, Ballard. I've got a shipment to check over, and if you're done... I'm done. Frank turned towards the door. Although no names had been mentioned, both he and Mitchell knew it was Dale Hudspeth he had been talking about. Since Hudspeth's Crazy K was Mitchell's biggest customer, it was natural for Jeb to want to end the conversation before having to take sides. Out in the street again, Frank was hooking the tailgate when he heard Kurt's voice and glanced over his shoulder. Kurt was in front of the hardware store talking to Sally McQuaid, he had hold of one of Sally's wrists, and Sally seemed to be trying to pull loose. Frank left the wagon and headed up the street at a fast walk. Sober, Kurt wouldn't so much as look at Sally, but in his present condition, he was as unpredictable as a tumbleweed in a windstorm, and it wouldn't take much to bring Matthew McQuaid out of the store with a shotgun in his hand. Kurt and Sally saw him coming, and Sally flashed him a frightened look of entreaty. Kurt turned unsteadily to face him. His muscles bunched. You keep out of this, Frank, he said. This ain't any business of yours. Frank shot a quick look into the store and saw that McQuaid was waiting on a customer and had his back to the street, so there was still a chance of breaking this up. He looked at Kurt and nodded. You're right about it not being my business, Kurt. My business is running a ranch, the same as yours, and we'd better get at it. He motioned toward the wagon. We're all loaded, kid. If we leave now, we'll be a tomahawk before dark. Kurt was weaving a little on his feet, but he didn't loosen his grip on Sally's arm. Go ahead, then, if you're in such a rush, he said thickly. I don't aim to leave until this damned little... Frank didn't let him finish. He raised his arm shoulder high and chopped at Kurt's wrist with the edge of his hand, breaking Kurt's grip on Sally's wrist. Beat it, Sally, he said quietly. I'll handle this. Sally turned and ran into the store, and Kurt stared stupidly at his hand for a second, then began to curse. Damn it, I told you to keep out of this, but if it's trouble you're looking for, I'll give it to you. He grabbed drunkenly for his pistol. Frank didn't even consider going for his gun. His right fist caught Kurt on the point of the jaw and Kurt sagged to his knees, then fell on his face on the wooden sidewalk. The hardware store door swung open and Matthew McQuaid stood in the opening, a puzzled look on his face. He moved out onto the walk and stared first at Kurt's unconscious form and then at Frank, who was rubbing his bruised knuckles. What happened out here, Ballard? he demanded. Sally came running into the store looking scared, and now this? He pointed at Kurt. Was he making advances to my daughter? Kurt? Frank grinned. Kurt had all he could do to stand on his feet without bothering Sally. I guess she just heard us arguing, and it scared her for a minute. The hardwareman frowned. You can call it arguing if you want to, Ballard, but it seems to me that two grown men could settle their differences without using their fists. He stared at Kurt. This partner of yours might be dead for all I know. I saw Sam Evans across the street a few minutes ago. I've got a good mind to... Forget it, McQuaid. Frank's voice was suddenly hard, and McQuaid backed off a step. 
He's not dead if that's what you're worrying about. And there's no reason to get the law mixed up in it. Kurt just had a few too many drinks, and when he's drunk, he gets the idea he's another Bill Hickok. By the time I get him home, he'll be ashamed of himself. Believe me, McQuaid, I know what I'm talking about. He bent down and heaved Kurt across his shoulder. By thunder, I hope so, McQuaid said testily. I think you should at least let Doc Kirby look at him, though. Frank shifted Kurt to a more comfortable position on his shoulder and turned to face McQuaid. There's nothing wrong with Kurt that a doctor can fix, he grinned. I don't suppose you've ever been drunk yourself, have you? Certainly not, McQuaid quivered with indignation. Maybe you ought to try it sometime. You might be a lot easier to live with. Before McQuaid could think up an answer, Frank started toward the wagon. His conversation with McQuaid had left a bad taste in his mouth, for he considered McQuaid a stingy, sanctimonious man with no sense of humor. And a man without humor didn't belong in this part of the country. He reached the wagon and rolled Kurt off his shoulder into the box, propping his head on a sack of salt and putting his hat over his face to keep off the sun. From in front of the hardware store, Matthew McQuaid was watching him suspiciously, probably still trying to decide whether or not to report the matter to Sam Evans. Frank was satisfied that Evans would accept his explanation, but he'd have to show his importance first by asking a lot of questions, and Frank didn't like the idea of Tomahawk being left unguarded any longer than necessary. He stepped onto the wheel hub and seated himself in the wagon. Two minutes later, he reached the end of Burwell's only street and turned south. Ahead of him, the road stretched for five miles without a kink before starting its climb up to the broad plateau on which both Tomahawk and Crazy K were located. Up on the plateau there would be trees, but down here on the level there was nothing but sand and sagebrush. The sun was almost directly overhead, and there was no breeze except for a few little dust devils moving slowly from west to east, sucking up sand as they went. Frank turned in the seat and saw that Kurt had rolled over and was snoring softly. His hat had fallen off, and Frank propped it up again so as to shield Kurt's eyes from the glaring sun. In spite of the trouble Kurt had caused, he had to grin. Kurt was a top hand in most ways, a hard worker once he got started, friendly as a hound pup when he was sober, and a good man to have on your side in a fight, as Frank had found out more than once. He faced ahead again and saw a streamer of dust off to one side of the road about halfway up the hill. That would be someone using the trail, a considerably shorter route from the valley to the plateau, but too steep for anything but a saddle horse. Frank had come to town by the same route many a Saturday night when he had been working for Dell Hudspeth, and he still used the trail as a rule unless he had to bring the wagon. From the speed at which the riders were approaching, he could already make out that there were two of them. They would reach the point where the trail met the road before the wagon did. This meant that they and Frank would have to meet face to face, a circumstance Frank found vaguely disturbing. There were only two Crazy K riders he actually considered his enemies, but he disliked meeting the ones he had once thought of as friends and being forced to ride on without so much as a hello. The two riders were close enough now so that Frank recognized Frenchy Dubuque's big claybank and Monk Travis's sorrel. These were the two men who had never been friendly. 
He reached under the wagon seat for his Winchester and laid it across his lap. He didn't really expect any trouble, but if there was trouble, these two would be the ones to start it. The two crazy cave riders had reached the road now and were coming toward him at a gallop, obviously aware of who he was and intending to make him pull off into the sand to let them pass. Their features were easily discernible. Frenchie Dubuque's dark round face split by an anticipatory grin, and Monk Travis scalping as always, the knife scar across his cheek like a white gash in the dust and sweat of his face. At the last possible second, Dubuque and Travis jerked their horses off the road on opposite sides. As they did, Frank said loudly, Watch him, Kurt! It was just a trick, since Kurt was dead to the world, but it made them hesitate a second, and by then the wagon was passed. Then Frank had turned and was covering them with the Winchester. Frenchy Dubuque's grin was gone, and he exploded into a torrent of profanity, some of it in his native tongue. But Monk Travis only sat and stared, his eyes burning with raw fury. Then he said something Frank couldn't hear. Then both men whirled their mounts and headed for town. Frank didn't look back again until he stopped to let the horses blow at the top of the hill. By then the road to town was empty and he put the incident out of his mind, turning his attention instead to the vista ahead. This was country Frank loved, a gently rolling plateau dotted with junipers and stunted jackpines. Off to the southwest, it merged into the foothills, and the trees were larger and more plentiful, but with ample grass between them to provide feed for a thousand head of Herefords. In fact, it did just that, for it was on this range that Dell Hudspeth's crazy K was located. Frank swung his gaze to the southeast, where Noah Farley's place was located. Farley's spread was much smaller than Crazy K. In fact, the crew consisted of only Noah and his boy Howie, with an occasional hired hand at roundup time. Farley's grass, however, was even more lush than Crazy K's. Having saved the best for last, Frank stared straight south where a valley cut through the hills. Tomahawk lay astraddle of the valley, neither as big a ranch as Crazy K nor as rich in grays as Noah Farley's, but with one potential the others lacked, a possibility Frank had recognized when he had first seen it, and which had given him the courage to break with Del Hudspeth and set out for himself. For this valley, the one belonging to Frank and Kurt was the most logical route for the railroad, if it should ever decide to lay track through Burwell to the rich cattle country to the south. Kurt muttered something in his sleep, and Frank looked back and saw that he was breathing easily, his big chest rising and falling in steady cadence. Kurt hadn't been told about the railroad, because if he knew, he would be as liable as not to get a few drinks in him and tell somebody all about it. He'd get his half of the profit, though, if anything came of it. They'd had a partnership agreement fixed up all legal and proper by Ford Cummings, Burwell's only lawyer. The horses were rested now, and Frank jiggled the reins and headed them toward Tomahawk. After a bit, he heard a faint fumble of hooves off to the right, and he saw a cloud of dust above the trees. Apparently, either Dubuque or Travis or Del Hudspeth or maybe all three of them were on their way back to Crazy K. By mid-afternoon, the air had begun to get cooler and the trees more plentiful. They were still on the road which led to either Crazy K or Tomahawk. The Tomahawk branch wouldn't turn off for another mile or so. Frank turned once again to see that Kurt was all right, and as he did, he heard the faint spang of a rifle, and a bullet slammed into the road twenty feet behind the wagon. He wasn't alarmed at first, since the gunman was evidently very far away and his aim quite poor. 
Then another rifle opened up closer by, and this time the bullet was only a few feet short. Frank slapped the lines against the horse's flanks and turned them into the shelter of a clump of cedars. He got out of the wagon and leaned over the sideboard to arouse Kurt, but Kurt only opened his eyes long enough to stare at him blearily for a second and then went sound asleep again. Frank tied the team to a tree, got the Winchester from under the seat, and slipped silently through the trees toward the sound of the second shot. It was slow going with very little cover, and it took him half an hour to go a hundred yards. He had about decided that the bushwhackers had left when a rifle spoke suddenly somewhere between him and the wagon. Thinking about Kurt, he got to his feet and headed back the way he could come. Ahead of him, the rifle fired again and there was a blur of movement in the trees. He triggered a couple shots at the blur, but he knew he had no chance of hitting anyone. Immediately afterward, he heard someone crashing through the brush, the sound growing fainter. This was followed by the pound of hoofs, at least two horses to judge by the sound. Evidently, they had given up, whoever they were. Frank kept on toward the wagon. After a bit, he saw it through the trees, Kurt still asleep in the back. He grinned. If they had gone to all this trouble to scare him and Kurt, they had wasted their time. Then his grin faded. Maybe this was just a warning. Maybe Dale Hudspeth was determined to get them off Tomahawk by fair means or foul. Was it possible Hudspeth knew something definite about the railroad? It hardly seemed likely. Hudspeth was a man without much principle, but more the type to steal a man's cows than to involve himself in a right-of-way deal. He reached the wagon and untied the team. Kurt had rolled over on his face, and he took him by the shoulder to turn him on his back. His hand touched something wet, and he stared at it in astonishment. The wetness was blood. He rolled Kurt on his back and saw the jagged hole in the front of his shirt and the spreading stain over his heart. For several minutes, Frank stared at him, his mind torn between anger at whoever had killed Kurt and at himself for allowing it to happen. Evidently, the first shots had been intended to draw him away from the wagon so that they could get close enough to kill Kurt, and he had fallen for it like any slick-eared greenhorn. He was aroused from his thoughts by the sound of horses, and he moved out of sight behind the team to see who the riders were. Presently, they came into sight, Dell Hudspeth on a black stallion, and beside him, Deputy Sam Evans on a shabby gray. They stopped at once, and Hudspeth's stare was as unfriendly as it had been in front of the hotel. Frank stepped into full sight and waited for them to come up. The deputy came first, his eyes fixed on Kurt's body. His right hand had dropped to his pistol, and he looked as tight as a coiled spring. He's dead, if that's what you're wondering, Frank said, and I didn't do it. With an obvious effort, Evans took his eyes off the dead man and turned them on Frank. Better tell me who did, Ballard, and how it happened. Hudspeth had moved up behind the deputy, but so far he hadn't spoken, though Frank didn't like the look in his eyes. It might have been anybody, Evans. All I saw was a blur. Go on. Frank did, telling him everything that had happened, but Evans' expression grew colder as Frank talked. You say you saw someone just after your partner was killed. Any idea what he looked like? Frank shook his head. About all I saw was the bushes moving. He was beginning to lose patience. What are you driving at, Evans? Do you think I actually killed him? The deputy shrugged. I heard about that trouble in town, Ballard. And you've got to admit your story sounds pretty thin. Let's see your gun. Frank hesitated a second, then drew his gun and handed it butt first to the deputy, who glanced at it casually then broke out the cylinder and looked at all five full chambers. He sniffed at the barrel. How long since you fired this? About a week. Frank held out his hand for the gun. 
You know blamed well it hasn't been shot in the last hour or two, Evans. Let's not waste all day over this. If you get busy right away, you might catch the real killer. The deputy frowned at the gun uncertainly. He seemed on the verge of handing it back, but Hudspeth said suddenly, Looks more like rifle work than a six-shooter from here. He gave Frank an odd look. You always used to carry a Winchester in your saddle scabbard, Ballard. Do you still have it? Frank felt the blood rising in his face, but he made no answer. Then Evans took it up. How about it, Ballard? Do you? I do. Frank moved over and reached under the wagon seat. It's been fired, too, if that's what you're going to ask next. I told you I took a couple of shots at the dry gulcher. So, Evans held out his hand. Frank had no choice but to hand over the rifle and watch silently while the deputy went through the same procedure he had followed with the pistol. He shoved Frank's pistol inside his belt and laid the Winchester across the front of his saddle. Reckon you'd better come back to Burwell with me, Ballard. There's too much to this for us to settle it out here. Now hold on, Evans, I can't do that. I've got things to tend to out at the ranch. They'll just have to wait then, Evans said bluntly. There's some things more important than feeding your stock, and one of them is murder. He glanced across at Hudspeth. I'll have to look at your mare some other time, Mr. Hudspeth. Sure, Evans. Hudspeth looked down at Frank. How about those things you had to tend to on the ranch, Ballard? If you want me to, I'll send a couple of my boys over to take care of them. Frank shook his head. Thanks just the same, Hudspeth, but don't bother. I've got a hunch your boys have taken care of too much already. The crazy K owner smiled coldly. Well, that's not the right attitude, Ballard. All I wanted to do was be neighborly. I'm afraid you're just looking for trouble. And I'm afraid I found it, Frank said grimly. He got into the wagon and wheeled it around toward town. Behind him, he heard the creak of saddle leather as Sam Evans turned his horse to follow. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Trail to Tomahawk. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.